you please uh, turn with me in your uh, Bibles to Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through to 10. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is God's word. Let me lead us in prayer as we look at it together. Our Father, as we come to uh, this short section, I, I, I think if we understand it rightly, we do want to pray with the first disciples, Lord, increase our faith. Give us trust in you, which enables us to live this way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, over the colder months, we've had one or two uh, boiler problems uh, recently. There have been uh, the odd morning uh, where we get up and uh, run the shower and uh, then sort of get in and go, <gasps> Uh, because it's freezing cold and there is just no hot water. And you know that sort of, it's like jumping in a cold, cool, cold pool of water. It just, <gasps> where it sort of takes your breath away completely, uh, dramatically somewhat. Or a gentleman, some of you would have no doubt at some point in your lives had the experience of being on a sports pitch and a ball hits you at full velocity somewhere below the belt um, in a region which causes you to cr just crumble upon the ground as if you've been polaxed. And you go, <gasps> Um, and you feel, yeah, well, I have to say, when I read this passage at the beginning of the week, that's how I felt. Because it's pretty challenging in what it asks of us. I certainly understand the apostles saying, help, <laughs> help, increase our faith. Come to the end of one little section in Luke's gospel uh, today. Luke uses the language of journeying often uh, to sort of, there was no Bibles, and, uh, excuse me, there were no uh, chapters and verses uh, when this was first put together. So Luke uses these little references to he's on the way, he's on the road. And uh, we've been in the section since 1322. We come to the end at 1711. Really, Jesus has been saying lots of people are going to miss out on the kingdom of God because they trust other things. They trust themselves. They trust money. And he's been in sort of competition, not competition, battling, fighting with the Pharisees 
in this section over that. How do you get into heaven? Well, he ends this section, uh, chapter 17, verse 11, and the next reference to being on the, on the road, on the way. Um, he's no longer engaging with anyone. It's just his disciples. Chapter 17, verse 1, then Jesus said to his disciples, probably just the 12 here because reference to the apostles later on. So he's now just talking to the smaller gang and saying, this is what true discipleship looks like. This is real. And so let me tell you a few things that will mark out true disciples. And there are four, four in the little section, okay? True disciples, they don't cause stumbling, they rebuke and they forgive. Thirdly, they ask for more faith. And lastly, they are dutiful servants. Four things, very simple. They left me on the floor. Hope you enjoy them. First then, true disciples, they don't cause stumbling. Verses one to three. Jesus said then to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Look, the world will just, you walk through life, you're going to be assaulted by temptations and all sorts of things. That's just, that's life. You can't resist that. Sorry, you can't. Uh, avoid that. It's just going to happen to you. But, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. I think Jesus here is saying, um, given the severity of the punishment, or better, the severity of verse 2, better to be thrown into the sea and die than cause someone to stumble. I think then this causing someone to stumble is causing someone to give up their faith, I think, probably given the severity of what Jesus says is going to happen. Now, how would you do that? How would you cause someone to stumble in such a way that they give up on the faith? Well, presumably, the two main ways, you teach the wrong things or you live the wrong way. So teaching, the teacher who says, God will let you into heaven if you're nice. Of course, it contradicts a biblical faith. Well, none of us are nice enough to get into heaven. It needs to be received as a gift by faith. Or, Or the teacher who makes Jesus out to be so demanding as an ogre, you don't want to go anywhere near him. Or... I guess, in the 21st century, the contemporary issue, that the the teacher who says, yeah, just fulfill your sexual desires however you want to is fine. Whatever makes you happy makes God happy. That sort of thing. Well, you're going to cause people to stumble out of the kingdom if you teach like that. But they're modeling lifestyle as well, I guess. There's been a really miserable series of high-profile or relatively high-profile Christian leaders being exposed as financial impropriety, bullies, uh, sexual immorality in the last year. And they've caused people to give up on the Christian faith because of their behavior. Woe to you says Jesus. You don't need, in any sense, to be high profile. Any of us could do that if we, we can perhaps cope with, uh, uh, well, no, let me don't put it in those terms, but uh, we might model a lifestyle of, well, a very slack attitude to 
drugs or alcohol or sexual immorality. And actually, we sort of just live in a simple pattern of life, but, but someone else observes it and gives up on the faith because of it. Don't be the mechanism through whom a temptation comes that causes someone to stumble out of the kingdom of God. Because, verse 2, it will be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round your neck than cause a little one, a young believer perhaps, a vulnerable believer, not sure, to stumble. Wow. I mean, you get that image. Better to drown than cause someone to give up on their faith. I mean, drowning is obviously a miserable way to die. I mean, that's why waterboarding is a torture, yes? It's horrible. And Jesus says, yeah, you're better off dying than living a day longer and causing someone to stumble out of the kingdom. And as someone who stands up quite a lot and teaches quite a lot, I do find myself, I mean, you might think this perverse, I don't know. But I found myself this week saying, Lord, please would I die rather than cause someone to stumble out of the kingdom? Because that's what he's saying. It would be better for me. They may not thank me. I prayed the same for the staff. I haven't told them that. They may not thank me for that. But they should do. Because it's better to die even a horrible death, and cause someone to stumble out of the kingdom in eternity. Now, I guess we can sort of get that. I mean, uh, if you knew somehow, you knew that somehow that in six months' time, you were going to be a murderer, somehow this was revealed to you, you might think, oh, I'd rather die of COVID in April than turn out to be a murderer. I don't want that. Uh, I don't know that's how people remember me, my legacy. You might think that. Jesus says, yeah, just so. It's better to die tomorrow than cause someone to stumble out of the kingdom and therefore their eternity be at jeopardy. Or than to be lost. And so he says, watch yourself. It's good to be accountable to others always. But there's no replacement for watching yourself. True disciples, they don't cause stumbling. Secondly, they rebuke and they forgive, verses 3 and 4. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So there's two commands here, rebuke and forgive. I don't suppose many of us are regularly in the habit of rebuking a brother or a sister. Perhaps we do such things anonymously. We do such things on Twitter. Perhaps we rebuke people we don't know. But let's be clear, verse 3, it's a brother or sister. It's someone in church. It's someone you know, okay? When was the last time you can remember going to someone and saying, you don't have to literally say the words, I need to rebuke you because, but functionally that's what you do. Can I just say that what you did was, I'm sure plenty of us grumble about them to ourselves, Alfred, I'm sure plenty of us grumble to a third party, to a friend, you are, you understand, I believe what Alfred did, Um, yeah, we might do that, 
but to engage with the person directly. I wonder, can you, when was the last time you can remember actually doing that? And why is that? We think probably to ourselves, oh, yeah, well, what they did was really unreasonable, but I don't like to cause a fuss. Um, I probably should pick up the phone and talk to them, but it's just a bit, it's quite a lot of effort. Uh, well, I wouldn't, you know, I, I know I should speak to them, but you know what they're like. They just sort of roar back at me, so I just, they, they will never listen to what I say. So, you know, what Alfred's like. Um, but Jesus says, no, you, you rebuke them. And of course, the, the motive is massive in all of this, of course. The motive matters enormously. You don't rebuke someone to feel better yourself. You can only do it if it's for their good. There's no license to let rip, no license to do it vicariously on behalf of someone else to be a busybody, no. This is for their good. So rebuke. And then forgive. Although there is a little clause here. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. If they repent, Elsewhere, the Bible insists we should offer forgiveness, but it can nev- there can never be a transaction. It can never be complete unless there's repentance. If they repent, forgive. Now, most of us can manage that in the small things. Um, you know, oh, you asked me to send an email this morning. I only managed it this afternoon. <laughs> Not the end of the world. But Jesus seven times in a day. They sit against you seven times in a day. Uh, can you imagine, I don't know how you came this morning, on a bike or a, a car, but um, uh, someone here, you've said, but you drove, someone here uh, says, oh, I'm so sorry, as I was cycling past, I scratched your car. Oh, is it bad? No, it's, oh, okay, well, don't worry, you know, it's okay. Uh, and then as you exit, you see, and they do it a second time. Well, what? You've done it a second? Yeah, I know. Sorry, I, was, uh, I didn't mean to. Oh, okay. And then they do it a third time, and there's a third scratch on your car. At that point, you start to say, are you drunk? What are you, what are you doing? What are, have, you ever, have you passed your cycle proficiency test? Um, what's going on with you? They do it a fourth time. You think, what is your problem? What are you doing to me? Do you want to take it out with me? Do you want to fight? Why do you keep scratching my... I mean, maybe not quite so strong. Um, Some of us are passive-aggressive and don't like the conflict. We just uh, use nasty words. But um, seven times in a day? Well, Jesus, of course, he's making his point dramatically. But the issue is clear. If the repentance is sincere, you just forgive doesn't matter how many times it is. Now, there is a little asterisk on that. It has to be sincere repentance. So you, you don't carry on forgiving someone who steals money from you every day to fuel their drug habit. Don't do that. We don't forgive to enable sin. You don't forgive someone in an abusive marriage and just allow them to keep on doing it. We don't forgive to enable sin. Not that. That's not what he's saying. But that's not what most of us have a problem with. Broadly... If the repentance is sincere, you just keep on forgiving. The Christian disciple is not meant to run out of forgiveness. It's boundless. It's limitless. It's 
bottomless. It has no end, he says. This raises the question, these two commands, to rebuke and forgive, am I committed to the good of the person who's wronged me? Am I, am I rebuking, forgiving, am I committed to their good? It's no good forgiving someone if it just perpetuates their sin. You want their good. Same with rebuking. So look, true disciples, they don't cause stumbling, verses 1 to 3. They rebuke and forgive. Pretty demanding commands from Jesus. And so I have to say I'm unsurprised by the response. True disciples, thirdly then, they ask for more faith. <laughs> Help, they say. Although verse 5, it's not quite the question perhaps you'd have thought, or, or the, the, the statement. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. I think if I'd been there with Jesus, and he'd say, look, you need to forgive in this way, and you'd be, I think I'd have said, oh, increase my compassion. Increase my care for other people. Uh, increase those sort of things. My zeal for their welfare, my concern for their godliness. Increase those. Actually, they say increase our faith. Because in the end, that is what we need. We need more trust in Jesus. So if someone is, I don't know, just lazy, just keeps on letting you down, a friend, a colleague, they just keep, they repeatedly let you down and you get very frustrated with it. To rebuke them rightly you need to believe that their growth in godliness is more important than your easy life. So you need to think, no, how they grow in Christ is more, more important than my ease. I need more faith in Jesus to believe that. When um, perhaps you just get angry, uh, so they say sorry, but you just get angry. And you think, I know I need to, to, I know I need to forgive them. Well, again, we need more faith. We need to understand that Jesus has forgiven us a far greater debt than we're being asked to forgive someone else. I mean, to put it bluntly, Jesus has to forgive me more than seven times a day. I, you know, I mean, a lot more than seven times a day, I do things that need Jesus' forgiveness. He's saying, look, I don't, keep, I don't keep counting because I may be the son of God, but my maths, I haven't got a calculator big enough to keep up with the number of times a day I need to forgive you. Seven is not that bad compared to how many times I have to forgive you, all right? Now, if, you, if, if we have faith to understand that, it does make it easier to forgive others. We're not perfect by a long shot. So I understand readily their ex exclamation, Lord, increase our faith. But then we get his reply. Jesus replied, verse 6, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Right. Let's do the knots. Jesus is not saying that every Christian can move stuff like Yoda, okay? He's just not saying that. This is not a promise that you can pick up a spaceship out of a swamp and deposit it back on the shore again. It's not that, okay? Can you think of anywhere in the Bible where anyone has the power to move things with their minds? Uh, what's the word? Telekinetically. Um, no. I mean, there are a lot of charlatans in Christian history. 
I don't think I've ever read of anyone saying, yeah, I just move stuff with my mind. I, I have such faith that I can woo, watch the organ, woo. I know, we never get that, okay? So he's not saying that. So don't waste your time trying to move trees with your faith. What is he saying, therefore? Well, verse 6, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move a tree. He is saying God can do a lot with a little bit of trust in him. God can do a lot with a little bit of trust in him. The disciples say, whoa, I'm pretty anxious about leading people into sin. I'm really struggling to forgive. I don't want to rebuke people. Jesus says, yeah, but if you have faith in me, you can do these things, you know. You can forgive. You can avoid causing others to stumble. You can do that if you have faith in me. A little trust in me, I can change you a lot. I mean, is it pushing it too far to say, I can uproot unforgiveness from you. I can uproot the selfishness from you to enable you to forgive others. But don't get puffed up about it, the last one, because true disciples, they're dutiful servants, verses 7 to 10. Let's read this, and let me give you the answers to Jesus' rhetorical questions so we get them right. Okay, verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? No. Won't he say, won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that you may eat and drink. Yes. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? No. That's the point of the story. So think of it in these terms. Um, we, we had a few problems with our roof uh, again recently, and um, so we got someone in, and they had a look at it, and, okay, the, the flashing needs repairing, and the chimney needs repointing, and there's a couple of tiles missing. Or, yeah, all of that. Uh, I can see all of that. Um, yeah, how long will it take? Well, about half a day, four hours' work. Okay, what, we, we agree a, a sum of money for four hours' work. Great, off you go. Um, here's what I didn't do. What I didn't do after him being on the roof for an hour is say, what have you done? Are oh, you done one of the three jobs that he's doing? Well, great, well, come, come downstairs and have dinner with us. And I'll tell you what, I'll finish the rest. That's not what I did. I mean, he did his four hours work, a bit more, and he came down. And um, I had to say, I said, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, that's great. I can see it's all done. And uh, I'll transfer the money. Super. But I didn't sort of get down and say, oh, it's so wonderful. Oh, you're so great. Oh, I've never seen a roof like it. You're the nicest roofer I've met in the world. I didn't, I didn't want to be obsequious about it. We agreed a price. He did the job. I paid him the money. I said, see ya. He said goodbye. And that was it. And that's the point here. He didn't expect a great outpouring of praise and thanksgiving. He didn't expect me to do half the work for him. He just... Did his job. And you can see Jesus' point is verse 10. So you also, when you've done everything you're told to do as disciples, don't say, hey, look at us, Jesus. Are you pleased with us? Are you impressed with what we've done, Jesus? Don't say that. What you're meant to say is, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. 
Now, elsewhere, Jesus would teach that God does reward believers in eternity. You can look it up later, but chapter 12, particularly verses uh, 35 onwards to 38, Jesus says in a parable, it'll be good for the believers whose master finds them watching when he comes. I will dress himself to serve and, and make them recline at the table and come and wave to them. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, yeah. In heaven, there are rewards. Chapter 12, verse 37. But here, here, the danger that Jesus is warning against is we think we deserve things from him. We deserve reward from him, and we deserve it now, thank you very much. And he says, now look, the Lord will reward you in eternity, but actually he's given you all the skills and all the things for you to do. He's enabled you to achieve these things. What you should do is just here and now say, I'm an unworthy servant. I'm just doing what I've been asked to do. I guess the danger is, and maybe I'm the only sinner in the room, but we can think in our heads, well, I've served God pretty well recently. I think I deserve a little reward. I think I've put in a good shift for the Lord, so, um, you know, it's time to put my pleasures, my desires first. Actually, it's time for a bit of me time. Uh, it's time for a whole lot of pampering because of how well I've served the Lord in the last couple of months. It's payback time, a bit of time for me, we can think. And Jesus says, no, you've only done your duty and there's more for you to do. Crack on. Bit like a, we can we can easily be self-satisfied, perhaps a bit like the teenager, I don't know, age 17 or something, who uh, comes down one morning and says, "Hey, mum and dad, look, I've got myself dressed, I've uh, uh, I've packed my bag for school, and I've cleaned my teeth." <laughs> what do you think of that? And you say, "Yeah, you're 17. About time. Crack on." You're not impressed with that. And Jesus says, well, that's sometimes in our own heads we can think like that. Jesus, look what I've done for you. Yeah, yeah, keep going. Christians are unworthy servants of a glorious master. And serving him is our duty. Serving him with our time, with our money, with our energy. So what do we do with this passage? I have to say, it left me at the beginning of the week winded. But if you find yourself thinking a bit like that and winded by the challenge, why don't you pray with me? Lord, increase our faith. Help me see my unworthiness. The fact that you call me to be your child and then you give me work to do, it's a bit like, coming out of a 20-year stint in prison and straight away being employed by the queen as her equerry. It's just completely undeserved. That's me. Lord, increase our faith so we know that following your way and not our own actually is, makes, is the route to happiness. Knowing you're an unworthy servant who's doing your duty actually makes us happier than pampering. Lord, increase our faith would you remind us, grow in us the truth that you can do a lot 
with a little trust in you. Lord, increase our faith so we're true disciples. Should we pray that together? Our great God and Father, here, here is a challenging passage on the nature of true discipleship. And so we want to pray with those first disciples, increase our faith. Help us know that with our trust in you, you can strengthen us to live this way. You can do a lot through a little trust in you. Help us to know that we're unworthy. You still give us valuable work to do as your precious children and promise us rewards in heaven, but we're completely unworthy of it. Would you strengthen us to serve you here and now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.